Amen. What a great privilege it is to worship God and to use the breath in our lungs to lift his name because he's worthy. Amen. Thank you so much, man, for leading us in worship. And if you are a child between first and sixth grade and you want to continue worship in the children's building with Pastor Susan, then this is the time for you to go with her and her team of incredible helpers and have children's worship. Well, I uh, ran across a picture, an old picture um, this week that I've shared with some of you. It's a picture that uh, came out in the front page of the metropolis called Freer, Texas. Uh, back in 1984, I was right out of high school and I was licensed to the ministry by First Baptist Church Freer. Mike Harrington was a pastor and this picture is proof that there used to be a time I had hair. Um, you can see it there. Uh, but it is a reminder to me of God's grace. You know, uh, when I think about how young I was when I was licensed and I took on that first church in Freer, Texas, Calvary Baptist Mission, 37 years ago, I think about God's grace. I was saved by grace. It was only the grace of God that could save a sinner like me. And I was called to the ministry by his grace. I wasn't the most educated. I wasn't the most gifted. I'm still not the most talented. I'm still not the smartest and the best, but I'm the one that got called. And when God calls, he equips and he uses. And I'm so thankful for that, out of those 37 years, I'm thankful that I've been able to spend 11 years with you and it's been an incredible journey. I'm thankful for that. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. A question comes, does God qualify the called or does he call the qualified? Well, I, I'm not sure that it's an issue of sequence as much as it is an issue of, of who does it. I think sometimes God has qualified people and then he calls them. And then there are times that God has called people and then he qualifies them. But the common denominator is that it's God who does the qualifying. And so today, as we continue in our series in the book of Titus that we call Boot Camp, we're going to talk about qualified leaders or qualifications for leadership. Last Sunday, we, we looked at the introduction to the letter. Paul writes to Titus in the year 65 AD. Nero is a Roman emperor. There's incredible persecution going on. There's a massive exodus from the city of Jerusalem of Jewish people, especially Jewish Christians who are fleeing because a war is imminent. There are false teachers going around the churches that Paul has planted, teaching a different doctrine, challenging his authority, challenging his gospel. And Paul writes to Titus and he says, look, we need to do something about this in Crete, the island where Titus was. And so that's where we pick up the story and we call today's message leadership character. Leadership matters in military uh, environments. We're talking about boot camp. In military environments, it's important that Marines, that soldiers know who the leaders are. They, they're supposed to learn leadership. They're supposed to learn to respect 
and value leadership. And, and so it is the case in uh, the church of Christ. In the book of Titus, chapter one, verse five, we pick up our reading from last Sunday. And it reads like this. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as he has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Thank God for his word. May, may he speak to us today through it. Paul had left his, his companion in ministry, Titus, in Crete to take care of unfinished business. And, and there's an urgency here. There is no thanksgiving portion in this letter like there is in some of the other letters of Paul. He gets right down to business. Titus, I left you in Crete so that you can finish the work that we started. But most of all, I need you to appoint elders. You need to appoint spiritual leaders in every town. Crete is this huge island, and there were towns where the gospel had been proclaimed, where people had come to faith in Christ, and there were no church buildings, so the church met in homes. So there were house churches spread out through the entire island of Crete, and now they needed leaders. They needed elders. They needed spiritual leaders, and Paul writes to Timothy about that. I think about our church and how we are constantly thinking of leaders. We're looking for leaders. We're training leaders. Sometimes we're sending out leaders. We have a pastoral team that I'm very grateful for, but we have two vacancies. We, we have a student pastor vacancy, and we have a Spanish language pastor vacancy, and we have two search committees that are praying, that are looking, that are interviewing so they can find a qualified leader for that role. And, and as we think of, of the fall semester, we, we're thinking of uh, leaders for our women's ministry. We're thinking for leaders for our Bible fellowships. They'll come soon in a couple of months, the opportunity to look for deacons and to look for committee members in our church. We're always looking for leaders. We have a pastoral ministry intern team and, and some of those leaders are being called away. We, we had Frank go to Waco High, Highland Church there and, and now Josh Ringha is being called to First Baptist Church Hinton, Oklahoma. And, and so we're looking for leaders, we're training leaders, we're sending leaders. Leadership is a big deal here at Calvary. So let's look at what the Bible says about spiritual leadership, about church leadership. And the first thing that speaks to me here in this passage is that church health begins with healthy leadership. The church in Crete had been started and it is apparent that it was a young church. Uh, one of the things that we can see is that there was no elders appointed. It, it was so young that they had no leaders established yet. And so Paul is concerned about the well-being of the church in Crete. Paul knows that Persecution is all over the place. 
He knows that there are Jewish Christians that are coming from Jerusalem to the entire Roman world and they're going to be looking for a church to join. He knows that there is some false teaching going around and so he cares for these churches, these house churches that are vulnerable, are young, and, and he wants to protect them. He wants to make sure they're healthy. He wants to make sure they're strong. And the place he feels he should begin is by having Titus appoint leaders. He wants healthy churches, and so he wants healthy leaders to be in charge. Church health begins with healthy leadership. Some of our staff has been listening to a podcast this week called The uh, Rise and Fall of Mar Marcial Church. Some of you may, may be familiar with this church in Seattle, Washington. That 1996 uh, was started by Mar Mark Driscoll, and, and it was about 20 people in an apartment. And in a few years, it exploded in growth, and there were about 15 locations in four states, 13,000 people attending every week in person or in one of the campuses. And, uh, and then a couple of years ago, uh, a lot of newspapers and media uh, talked about the fact that Mark Driscoll was, was stepping down from his role as pastor. He was accused of bullying. He was accused of spiritual abuse. He was accused of arrogance, of plagiarism. He was accused of mishandling of funds. And, and, and it became such a thing that, that uh, there, there was tension, there was conflict. He left the church. And then the elders voted in 2015, 18 years after this church had been planted, to really dissolve and to let the congregations go and fend for themselves. It went from 20 to 13,000, then to nothing. And it is a reminder, I'm not trying to be critical of other churches, but it is a reminder to us that just because the church is large doesn't mean it's healthy. Just because the church grows fast doesn't mean it's healthy. Just because a, 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 a leader is popular and it's on YouTube and, and has a lot of podcast listens doesn't mean that he's a healthy leader. A healthy church is one where, where relationship vitality exists between the leaders and God. There's relationship vitality between the leaders and the congregation. There's community. There's transparency. There's honesty. There's accountability. A healthy church is a church that, that yes, has a mission, but, but the mission is not at the expense of the people. A, a healthy church is, is a church that, yes, has sound doctrine, but sound doctrine is not at the expense of loving one another. A healthy church is one that, that, that might have a lot of resources, but, but its primary thing is to love God and love each other. It's, that's one of the uh, students of evangelical culture uh, today tweeted something that I found interesting this week. He was quoting someone else. He said, when the Greeks got the gospel, they turned it into a philosophy. When the Romans got it, they turned it into a government. When the Europeans got it, they turned it into a culture. When the Americans got it, they turned it into an enterprise. And to a big extent, it is true. But we must not make the gospel anything other than what Jesus and the apostles gave to us. And that is to be a healthy spiritual community that lives on mission. And we see here that as prominent as Paul was as an apostle, as much as he had authority, 
that leadership at the church in Crete was not centered around his personality. It wasn't centered even around Titus's personality. It was important that elders would be appointed, and it's plural. There's not one person that should have all the control and all the power in the church. Perhaps you ask, well, what is an elder? And do we have elders at Calvary? Oh, the word translated elder here in Titus is the word presbyterus, and it refers to, to someone who has leadership and, and is usually shared leadership in a team. It, it probably has a background in Jewish culture, in, in civic life for, for the Jews and in the synagogue. There were, there were elders. And, and so there's this idea that uh, Paul uh, was doing in every town where he went and preached the gospel and made disciples and he appointed elders. He appointed a group of leaders that would take care of the church in that city, maybe consisting of multiple house churches. And the word elder in church has evolved over 2,000 years, but what we find in the book of Titus is a very early understanding of that role. In fact, Paul uses it interchangeably with the word overseer in verse 7. The word overseer is the word episcopus or bishop. And so there's not the formality of, of, of elder and bishop here. It, it is really about the role. Paul is more concerned about the role of elders than about their title. They are to lead, they're to oversee, they're to teach. We get a little insight about uh, Paul's view of what an elder is and does in his letter to Timothy, which was written around the same time in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. This is what Paul says about elders. It says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. And so Paul tells us here, you know, elders, the spiritual leaders of the church are to be honored by the congregation. They're supposed to direct the affairs of the church. Some of them preach and teach. That means not all elders preach and teach, but some of them do. There's a compensation, he says here. They're, they're, they're worthy of their wages. They're worthy of, of whatever uh, support they receive from the congregation. They're accountable to the congregation. And, and uh, they should be protected from false accusations. There should be a process for, for dealing with problems and conflict uh, among elders. But, but as we put these two letters together, First Timothy and Titus, we, we get this idea of what an elder is. Is Perhaps in our tradition, we've called elders pastors. Um, but, but they include other types of leaders. If you're, if you're talking about leaders of house churches, you're, you're talking about small communities. So in a church our size, an elder might be an ABF leader. Definitely would be somebody in pastoral ministry. But it, there may be other roles of spiritual leadership that this applies to. But the idea is that church health begins with healthy leadership. So we must ask ourselves, am I a healthy leader? Are we developing healthy leaders? Are we looking for healthy leaders because the answer to that matters for the church? Secondly, healthy leadership begins with healthy families or with healthy family life. As Paul begins to outline the qualifications for elders, notice that he begins with family relationships. 
He says an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Spiritual leaders are to have healthy family relationships because healthy leadership begins at home. You know, when, when it comes to civic leaders, when it comes to government, some people have asked, does a governor's private life matter for his public life? And some people have said, no, whatever they do in private, whatever relationships they have or they don't have, doesn't really matter as long as they are good leaders, as long as they are good governors. And then there are those who say, well, no, it matters because whatever a person is in private will affect who they are in public. So yes, it matters. And, and then there are those who say, well, it depends who's in office, if it's my candidate or not, what I think. But whatever the debate might be on civic leaders, there's no debate when it comes to spiritual leaders. It is very clear. The Bible says your family life matters for your leadership at church. Whether you have a healthy marriage or not has a direct implication on whether you should be a leader at church or not. Specifically on whether you should be an elder or a pastor. In regard to marriage, the Bible says, the elder is to be a one woman man. Most translations bring the husband of one wife, which is probably closer to the original. And here it says faithful to his wife. Uh, some people say, well, husband of one wife, does that mean that a spiritual leader has to be married, that singles can't serve? Does it mean that, that someone who's been divorced and remarried can't, can't be an elder, can't be a deacon, can't be a spiritual leader? And there's been a lot of questions about that. In fact, our church did a study committee on this and they studied the Greek and the scriptures and, and we actually have an official position on this that, that our church has voted on. And, and our interpretation is that this, the, the meaning of this is a one woman man. In other words, the spiritual leader should not be flirtatious, should not be a womanizer. If he's married, he should be faithful to his wife. Those who are considered elders should, should be faithful to their wife. And they should have faithful children too. That means the children should respect the faith and, and they should be obedient to their parents. Now, if you are a parent, you know that's not always easy, especially if you've had teenagers, right? I mean, after all, even the best of parents can't control how their children will, will turn out, right? E even the most spiritual, dedicated parents can't guarantee that their children will follow Jesus. So, so this is a little intimidating for us. But I don't think that this means that the spiritual leader's family has to be perfect. What it means is that there has to be evidence that the spiritual leader has made a priority of leading in the home. It, it, it means that the spiritual leader is committed to, to taking care of his marriage and, and taking care of his family. That, that he understands the priority of of doing that first and that there will be evidence that, that he's committed to being a spiritual leader at home. Paul gives his rationale in verse seven where he says, since an overseer manages God's household. Paul's looking at all these house churches across the island of Crete and he said, they're really big extended families. They're oikos, household of God 
They're an extended family and, and someone that wants to be leader in the extended family of God needs to learn how to be a leader in his own family. You know, one of the things that we are thankful about this month of July is that Calvary as a church uh, had his 64th anniversary this month, 64 years ago. There were some people in the 930 service that were here when the church started, that were here this morning, and they were like nodding, they, they, like they remember that occasion. And uh, when, when I visit other places and when I see my friends uh, uh, in other churches or in meetings and they ask me about Calvary, I always brag on Calvary because I think Calvary is a wonderful church. And one of the things that I brag about, I said, you know, it's a 64-year-old church and they've only had five pastors. That says something about the church. Uh, and, and one of the, I've not met all the, I've met a couple of the previous pastors of Calvary, but um, I understand the first pastor was Jimmy Heflin. He, he, he was here for 10 years back in the beginning and there are people that remember him and tell stories about his ministry and, and, and how loving he was to the congregation, how caring he was. I never had the privilege of meeting Jimmy Heflin, but I've met his son, David Heflin and his wife, Laura. And it may be that Jimmy Heflin, who's already in heaven, left here 40 years ago, but for 40 years, David and Laura Heflin have, have had a good testimony, serving the community and serving as a deacon here at Calvary. I think what a blessing that is. You know, I, I think of, of George Slayton, who came after Jimmy Heflin and was here 20 years. We even named a building after him. And, and I've heard great stories about him and, and his leadership. He, he was the pastor when this building was, was erected. And, and I wish I would have had an opportunity to meet him, but I didn't. He's already in heaven. But I know his daughter, Pam Slayton Thompson, and her husband, Dickie Thompson. And I know that they've served as, uh, in our ministry here as deacons and, and that he is re has just recently retired as athletic director from Sherryland School District and has received accolades and, and affirmation for his testimony in the community. And, uh, and I think about Buddy Owens and, and the difference that he made in the lives of children in the Rio Grande when he established the Rio Grande Children's Home and, and, and the kind of pastor that he was and the kind of stories he told. I never got to meet Buddy Owens, but, but this morning his daughter Judy Prater was sitting in worship and I know her life and her testimony. And I think about this. I've never met this great man of God, but I've met their children. And for 30, 40 years, they've given a good testimony. What a legacy that is. What a blessing that is. Healthy leadership begins with healthy families. And that's a two-way street. That means that when we look for leaders, we look for healthy families and healthy family life. But that when we have leaders, we also let them invest in their families. We also uh, understand that they need to put that priority in their lives. For what shall it profit a man if he wins an award for church leadership but loses his family? And then third and final, healthy disciples begin with Christ-like character. As you look at the qualifications of scripture for the elders here, notice that all of them except for one have to do with character not with gifting, not with skill, not with ability, but with character. 
That's interesting because often when we think about church leaders and we talk about that, we say, well, is he a good preacher? Is he a good administrator? When we're looking for pastors, when we're looking for committee members, does he, does he know about finances if he's going to be in the finance committee? If he's going to be in building and grounds, does he understand construction? Does he understand maintenance? Uh, if he's going to teach children, are they good with children? If he's going to teach adults, uh, are they boring? Or, 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 you know, people say, oh, he knows a lot of Bible. So we often think of the skill, the ability, the knowledge. But interestingly here, it starts with character. And that's where we should always begin in looking for spiritual leaders. Because there's nothing more dangerous than a gifted leader with poor character. There is nothing more harmful to the church than a charismatic leader whose integrity is questionable. Paul tells Timothy, elders should be blameless. In other words, they should have a good testimony in the community. In Crete, or anywhere else where the church is, people in the community shouldn't say, man, if that's their leaders, I can only imagine how the rest of the church is. Now, I understand people are going to talk and say things, but what Paul is saying is make sure that they don't have a reason to say those things. And so he gives a list of what that looks like. Twelve things. Five things are negative. In other words, there are five things you don't want in an elder. Five things you don't want in a spiritual leader. It says, not overbearing. Someone who's not imposing themselves in an arrogant way. Not quick-tempered. Not someone who has anger issues. Who has uh, rage fits. Not given to drunkenness. The Bible, the New Testament does not forbid drinking, but it does forbid drunkenness. Now, some people say, well, in order to make sure that I never get drunk, then I'm going to abstain from alcohol. And that's been a traditional view for, for evangelicals for a long time, and it's valid. But, but the one point that it makes here is spiritual leaders should not be given to drunkenness. Should be, they shouldn't be violent. Not a bully. Not, not someone who, who is physically or verbally abusive. And not pursuing dishonest gain. They shouldn't be greedy. They shouldn't be taking shortcuts. They shouldn't be trying to get rich quick. Those are five things that you don't want in a spiritual leader. And then there are seven things that, that you do want in an elder, in a spiritual leader. They should be hospitable. They should welcome you into their house, into their lives. They should love what is good. They should be self-controlled. They shouldn't be out of control. <laughs> they should be upright. That means they should be just and fair, ethical in their dealings. They should be holy. That means that they should understand that they've been called by God and they are, they are devout. They're godly. They should be disciplined, number six. And they should be able to teach sound doctrine and refute false doctrine. Of the 12 qualifications given here, five negative, seven positive, only one has to do with skill or gifting, that of teaching. It's important that the spiritual leader be able to teach. Healthy leaders begin with Christ-like character. That means that in the church, it is more important who a person is than what they can do. It is more important the character of a person 
than the knowledge or ability of that person. And this character can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. Spiritual leadership begins with the Spirit of God. Titus is to identify people in the churches in Crete that possess his qualities. Now, they didn't know that we're going to be looked on as elders. They weren't trying to apply for the job. They were just believers, saved by grace, forgiven by Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, there are people in the churches that possess these qualities. Now appoint some of them as elders. That, that, that's great to point out because they didn't develop these qualities because they were elders. They were appointed as elders because they had these qualities. That means that every Christian, that every disciple, that every follower of Christ can have these qualities. Elders, spiritual leaders are, are simply to be examples to us. But these should be characteristics of those who follow Christ. You know, it's, we don't have a hierarchy in, in our church. We, we don't have degrees of holiness. You know, if you're a pastor or if you're a lead pastor, you're supposed to be holier than staff pastors and they're supposed to be holier than deacons and deacons. That's not the way it works. We, we are all followers of Christ. You know, I get a kick out of people who ask me to pray at fellowships and gatherings. They say, pastor, why don't you pray? Because you got that direct line. And I'm going, yes, I do. But so do you. We all have that direct line, right? We're all priests. We're a kingdom of priests. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. We don't have a hierarchy. We don't need somebody to, to be an intermediary between us and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us can go. All of us have the same Holy Spirit. That means all of us can develop the same character qualities in our lives. And it's by grace. We can't work it up. We can't produce it on our own strength. It's not about a checklist. Don't take these 12 things and say, I'm going to work on these 12 things. No, no. You know what you need to work on is surrendering to the Lordship of Christ every day. And he will produce those things in your life. They're not things we work for. They're evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It doesn't mean that we as pastors or spiritual leaders are perfect. If we had to be perfect to serve, then no one, none of us could serve, right? I don't know if you're familiar with chain email letters that some years ago used to be a, a popular thing that somebody would send you an email or, or something on Messenger and they say, if you really believe in Jesus and you're a good Christian and, and you believe the Bible, send this to 12 people. That We'll send it to 12 people and make sure that you send it back uh, to, so that you don't break the chain, right? And one of those chain letters was about the perfect pastor. Let me read you the content of that chain letter is that the perfect pastor preaches exactly 20 minutes. I've already missed that mark today. His sermon should be funny, entertaining, and convicting. He should condemn sin without offending anybody. The perfect pastor attracts young people to church but never changes the music. He works from 8 a.m. to midnight, attends every meeting, every fellowship, and opens the church building when you need him to. The perfect pastor makes $1,000 a month, wears nice clothes that represent the church well, drives a good car, and tithes $500 a month. The perfect pastor is 45 years old with 35 years of experience. He visits the hospital, makes house calls, attends community events, and is always in his office when you need him. 
If your pastor doesn't measure up, then send this letter to six other churches that are also dissatisfied with their pastor, and then bundle your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. In one week, you will receive 1,643 pastors, and one of them should be perfect for your church. Have faith in this letter and don't break the chain. If you really love Jesus, believe the Bible, and are proud of being a Christian, send it to others. Beware, though. One church broke the chain, and they got their old pastor back in three months. <laughs> Be careful. Be careful. Healthy leadership is not about perfection, but it is about Christ-like character. Paul acknowledged that the right, his right to leadership was not his perfection, but the grace of God. We don't have to be perfect. We cannot be sinless. It is by grace. And yet, let's not use grace as an excuse to neglect our character. Character and integrity are everything in spiritual leadership. So let's let the Holy Spirit produce that in us. You know, that I think when people read this list, there are those who say, man, I'm in leadership. I, I may need to take a break to take care of some of these things. And, and maybe you do. Let, let the Holy Spirit tell you that. And then there are some of you who, who are not in leadership who say, well, I, that's why I say no every time they ask me. That's just an excuse. It's a cop-out. It's like the lady that came up to me one day and said, Pastor, I just want you to know why I haven't been taking communion. And I said, well, why is that? She goes, because I'm living in sin and I have unconfessed sin in my life. And I said, well, I, I'm glad you understand that you shouldn't take communion if you're living in sin and have unconfessed sin, but you've missed a point. The point is not for you to skip communion. The point is for you to repent and change and let God change you. Some people use this list and say, well, I, I, I'm not worthy of serving. Well, none of us are worthy of serving. But it is a step of faith to say, I want God to use me so I will surrender my life so that God can produce these things in my life. God calls out spiritual leaders that will display Christ-like character to lead his church, to teach and protect his church. Praise God for that. God is good. As we pray to fill pastoral vacancies in our church, as we, as we provide leadership for our church plant in Donna and Reynosa, as we look for leaders for our women's ministry, for our ABFs, for our committees, for our deacons, may we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us to find those that he's calling and that he's qualifying. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you today for your word. We pray that, Father, you help us to surrender to you and your lordship. Thank you that you are a holy God and you expect the holy people to serve you. And we're not holy on our own, but you can make us holy. So we surrender today to you, that you might work in us. As we sing, I, I invite you to pray and make a commitment, whatever God is leading you to do, whether it's to trust Christ for the first time, whether it is to step up to leadership, or maybe to step down from leadership, whatever God is calling you to do, then take this moment to do it.